always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Search Sky Broadband to get started. In the last episode, we heard about Roy Keane's difficult relationship with manager Mick McCarthy and how, after qualifying for the World Cup in 1994, the Irish team struggled for years to make it to another international tournament. Finally, Ireland qualified for the 2002 World Cup in Japan and South Korea. Two weeks before the 2002 World Cup began, the Irish team would fly out to a training camp on the Pacific island of Saipan. The island was two and a half thousand kilometres from Japan. To Ken Early, and to most Irish people at the time, it was an obscure dot on the map. Did you know anything about Saipan? Only in terms of World War II. You know, I mean, who, how, in what other context? <laughs> I can't remember hearing Saipan in another, in another context. I mean, I, and of course, famously, it was a base for kamikaze pilots. Yeah, apparently so. And and, and wasn't there a, a suicide cliff or something like this? Now, I never made my way to Saipan because I was thinking, I'm going to the World Cup, but there's no need to go to that training um, thing in Saipan. I mean, that's just, that's just the training. Nothing will happen there. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Connor Pope. Today, Saipan, 20 years on, part two. What happened on the island? The final whistle sounds. Ireland are on their way to the Far East. We can win this tactic. It was Shay Given, young fellas like Duff and Robbie Keane. This World Cup should be about music and crack and national celebration. And then suddenly it's like, no, actually, that's not happening. Without Roy Keane, not yet. Not after arguably the most dramatic week in the history of Irish sport. No regrets. Not even about playing in the World Cup. More important things to worry about. On the plane journey to Saipan, the Irish team were accompanied by a gang of journalists, including Emmett Malone, a reporter for the Irish Times. The reporters were particularly interested in one player, Roy Keane. But, as Emmett recalls, Roy Keane wasn't particularly interested in them. He saw us as, um, well, I was going to say a necessary evil, but I think Roy Keane probably saw us as an unnecessary evil, you know. Uh, so he, he didn't really want anything to do with us, but he also did the thing that a great many players do in these situations when they have a ropey relationship with certain members of the press is that he lumped us all in, in together, or largely, or almost exclusively, 97% of us. There were two or three people that he, that he respected and that he liked and he spoke to, and uh, then there was the rest of us, you know. The team, the officials and the press pack departed on May the 17th. Before long on the plane, there was some aggro between Keane and the reporters. Journalist and Keane autobiography ghostwriter Eamon Dunphy. He had a row with a couple of journalists on the, on the flight. So he was hopping. Uh, with, and he had a justified grievance. The justified grievance was something we learned about in the last episode. The Niall Quinn testimonial match. This was a friendly game for charity that Keane, after a long season with Manchester United, one which had been blighted by injury, felt he needed to miss. But his decision not to attend the game drew some criticism. When we got on the plane, they gave out free Irish papers and uh, in the course of this, he read about himself having supposedly shown disrespect to Niall Quinn and this, uh, this annoyed him. And on the plane from Amsterdam on, they were in business class, I guess, and we were at the front of the bus in economy. And he came out to make his feelings uh, known in pretty plain terms to a couple of the journalists who'd written this stuff. It would be a how not to in PR school, a comms manager's nightmare. He came out and he, he was a guy 
coming out to abuse some people who he didn't like. That was what it was. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. Any, it wasn't terribly dignified. It was pretty obvious that there were tensions in the air and there was a variety of reasons for that and a variety of rumours about why he was so wound up that it was more than that. There was talk of, you know, some tabloid doing a job on him um, that that was rumbling along in the background. There was talk of him having other personal issues, uh, you know, but nobody really had a clue and that was the thing with Roy Keane. You really never knew what was going on inside that head of his, you know. The decision to travel to Saipan, a small island not famous for its football facilities, didn't make much sense to a lot of people. Why not go straight to Japan to settle in where the team would be playing its group games and where the facilities were second to none? If I remember correctly, it was about a, a three-hour journey on from Tokyo. So we could have stayed somewhere in Japan. They, they would have had a, been offered training camps. I guess we could have gone to Izumo directly. I mean, that would have required another journey on anyway of some description, but probably not a three-hour flight, which, which it seemed pretty impressive at the time. Their claim was that the intention was that Saipan was just like a holiday island and they would go there and kind of holiday. And that everyone had had a tough season. They'd come virtually straight off the back of it. A few of the lads were still carrying knocks or whatever. So the whole thing is you go to somewhere, you know, like this, relax a bit and have a few knockarounds and do a few, you know, tick over, just, just tick over. And then you go to Ismo five, six days later and you start the serious work there. And it's, it, the setup in Ismo is pretty good. Roy saw it differently. Obviously, he spoke afterwards. He spoke in the Tom Humphreys interview, which I'm sure we'll come to, uh, about having having gone there to work hard. And he'd gone to win the World Cup, apparently, and that started with some tough hours on the training pitch in Saipan. And the training pitch, you know, as it turned out, wasn't somewhere where you started a winning World Cup campaign. Uh, you know, so uh, so that that it was like a car park, Emmett. Yeah, look, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I, look, I. I I, like, were you on that training pitch? Yeah, I was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, I'm, 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 I'm not the judge of training pitches that Roy Keane is, and I know a great training pitch when I see it. I've, I've been at a few Premier League training grounds and international training centres and all this sort of stuff. I know a great one when I see it, you know, and I know a really crap one. I referee in the schoolboys league, you know. I've, uh, I've stepped into a few potholes mid-match and stuff like that, you know. So I know a really crap pitch as well. It didn't strike me as as bad as 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 it was made out to be. But look, hey, you know, if you're a Manchester United midfielder and um, and you've gone there with this in your head that you they are the team you're playing for can really make a serious impact on this, uh, that's not an argument anybody wants to be making. That it's yeah. not as bad as it's made out to be. It was pretty bad. His teammates in Manchester United in the England squad, David Beckham, Paul Scholes, and people like that, he knew where they were training, and they were training in these beautiful, perfect, idyllic circumstances while Ireland was stuck in Saipan. And one of Roy's things is, why are we always so, you know, second rate? Why can't we do it right? From the start, the training camp in Saipan was a bit of a disaster. The facilities were poor, but also the team's training equipment failed to arrive. Keane was unhappy and tempers were frayed. And what about the bust up between Roy Keane and the goalkeeping coach, Alan Kelly, I think it was? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, so Kelly was still in the squad, so I don't think he was the coach. He was one of the players. We were at this training ground, this infamous training. I was there. I was like sitting by the bus watching this. And there was this thing at the end where Keane wanted a, a training game. And um, Bonner, I think it was, told him that the keepers were too tired to play. There was this bus stop. 
Kelly and himself ended up kind of head to head over it. You know that you know, I think Kelly had said that they'd worked hard during the training session, and I remember Keen walking past me and getting on the bus and sitting on the bus. And I think then some kid went on with a ball to get it autographed, and you were kind of sitting there wondering whether the kid would emerge alive again. But the next morning, then we realised that Roy Keane had nearly gone home. On Tuesday, three days after arriving in Saipan and just after his row with the goalkeepers, Keane told McCarthy and others that he was going home. Apparently on the basis that he felt everything had been, you know, just shit, essentially. You know, the training ground was crap, the gear, the proper gear hadn't all turned up, Most only two of 20 skips or whatever had shown up and, you know, there was all this going on and he kind of regarded this as the final straw. Uh, the FAI got as far as kind of organising flights for him and, uh, and Colin Healy was told that he was coming to the World Cup and um, and that was happening. And then Bobby, almost before we knew that that was happening, we also knew that it had been resolved, he'd been talked around and that he was staying after all. Among those who convinced him to stay was United manager Alex Ferguson. And Alex Ferguson in particular seemed to have told him to, to, to brave it out, that, that it, would be, it, would be, um, it would be something that he would regret for the rest of his life if he left. And, uh, and I, I don't know whether Ferguson said to him or Keane reflected himself that, you know, it was one thing for him to go back to Manchester and, uh, you know, uh, submerge himself in, in life there and you know, the, get ready for the new season. Uh, but it would be another thing for his family back in Ireland. Uh, that yeah. they, they would have to live with the fact that he had walked away from the, the squad. Meanwhile, back in Ireland, anticipation was building for the World Cup. Because we were actually, we were a really good team. We'd come through such a strong qualifying group. You know, we had, Duff was brilliant at the time. You know, he was a brilliant player. Robbie Keane was, had not had the greatest sort of qualifying campaign, but was a really talented player who, you know, everyone was kind of, had, had a lot of faith in. You know, the goalkeeper was was really good. The midfield was brilliant. You know, and we're thinking, well, you know, this this is going to be amazing. Like, you know, this is going to be at least, as, you know, we can at least get to the quarterfinals. Maybe we can do better than that. There had been stuff on the news, you know, sort of like, uh, Oh, you know, Keane looking really angry, like kicking balls around training, you know, just with a face like thunder. But you, you just, you just sort of never thought like that it would actually, I mean, Keane, Keane going around sulking and looking angry is, is nothing new. Like he's literally been doing this for years, you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, of course he is. Like, I mean, it would be weird, it would be weird if he wasn't doing that, you know what I mean? Um, and then there was, oh, there's been a bust up with the goalkeepers and there was this, you know, you're like, okay, well. Again, this this sounds kind of stupid. And then there was the interview, you know, then there was the interview and you're thinking, okay. The catalyst for all of Saipan was an interview he gave to Tom Humphreys that was published in the Irish Times. The interview that brought things to a head was conducted by Tom Humphreys, a once prominent sports writer with the Irish Times, who was later jailed for grooming a 14-year-old girl before sexually abusing her. In 2002, Keane agreed to give interviews to Humphreys and one other journalist. The interview took place on Wednesday. So Tom told me that he had an interview lined up with Roy uh, for one of the afternoons and I was kind of delighted with this because there was obviously so much going on, there were so many uh, questions. The Irish Times originally planned to publish the interview the following Saturday but brought it forward to the Thursday because of the level of interest in what Roy Keane had to say. I think actually I stayed up till about two in the morning to get it online. Mary Hannigan is a sports writer with the Irish Times. Because I knew it was coming and had a notion that it might, <laughs> might go down tremendously well. 
So I did read it and the jaw was roughly floor level. The interview was critical of the facilities in Saipan. That was relevant to Keane, who was carrying an injury, a hip injury. Saipan was a dump. There was no football ground on the island. And also Mick McCarthy had encouraged the players to go and have what Roy described as a piss-up with the journalists on the night after they arrived. And Keane was not taking alcohol at that stage. And he didn't like that. He didn't like the... They were training on a concrete rooftop. It was, it was a shambles. And he said as much in the interview with Tom Humphreys. I can't say that I thought, oh, this is the end, you know, like he's not going to play in this World Cup. I certainly didn't think that. But I thought it, it would heighten the tension, certainly between him and McCarthy and some of the his teammates. He, he had to go with Jason McAteer. I still absolutely did not see what was coming, but I, I, yeah, was pretty sure it wouldn't help matters. But not, in my view, in a way that would be provocative uh, and would provoke Mick McCarthy to respond the way he did. Mick McCarthy got the piece, heard about it before he read it, and decided to reprimand Keane publicly, and that was the big mistake. That was the start. Emmett played a small role in how the story then unfolded. You were at the press conference that Mick McCarthy gave in the hours before the crisis exploded. And I think, in fact, you asked Mick McCarthy the question that made him aware of the interview. What question did you ask him and how did he react? So basically the intention was to sort of kick it off then. It was online by that stage or a portion of it was. And and so the intention was to make Mick aware of it if he wasn't aware of it. It was a kind of noon press conference. And um, and so I just asked, I, I put the, the question to him, like that Roy had done this interview, it was being published in the Irish Times, and that he had suggested that he was going to retire from international football after the World Cup, essentially because Mick's, um, Mick's, Mick, the standards were around the camp were so low and that so much had gone wrong. And Mick was clearly really very badly thrown by this. He didn't know what to say. He did, he was he was reeling. Very obviously, he had been completely unaware of it. And um, and he, he he wrapped up the press conference as fast as he could to get out of there. And so he went back to the team hotel and, um, and everybody, like that was the start of it. Everybody scrambled down. There was an internet cafe across the road. People were going across and printing off the interview. And, and, and Philip Quinn, who was then of the Irish Independent, and it went across then to the team hotel as soon as he got it he read it highlighted in kind of marker the, the big bits and went over and put those to Mick two or three hours later we're informed there's going to be a press conference that night and um, and it's it's become clear at that stage I mean the rumour starts going around pretty quickly that Roy is gone uh, that he's been sent home that there's been a team meeting that it's gone badly Apparently Gary Kelly had heard this guy playing guitar in the next room so by the time Mick McCarthy arrived at the team meeting they were all supposed to eat first and then this team meeting was going to happen after dinner so by the time Mick McCarthy arrived this guy playing guitar and he's going from one song into the next and Mick is struggling to get a word in edgeways to get rid of him and you know so I'm sure you can only imagine what's going through Roy's head at this stage like you know this is this is Mick's attempt to throw me out of the World Cup or whatever and it's it's it, even it's a shambles you know 
And Mick opened it up by all accounts with, uh, he had a kind of little folder or notebook with him and he had a copy of the interview which had been printed out and he had highlight. I think one of the, the journalists who'd given it to him had sort of highlighted extracts, I'm presuming it's the same copy of it at this stage, and uh, and, he, and he kind of waves it in the air and he goes like what's the meaning of this Roy? What's, what's the meaning of this? I think he might owe the players a, an apology. And Roy went off on one. In the confrontation that followed, years of built-up mistrust and dislike poured out. There's no record of exactly what was said, but from eyewitness accounts, it's clear Keane gravely insulted Mick McCarthy. You're a fucking wanker. I didn't rate you as a player. I don't rate you as a manager and I don't rate you as a person. You're a fucking wanker and you can stick your World Cup up your arse. I've got no respect for you. The only reason I have any dealings with you is that somehow you are the manager of my country. You can stick it up your bollocks. It didn't seem like he could contain himself in terms of, you know, going straight for the juggler because uh, the, the players, one thing everybody has absolutely agreed on that every single account of it I've ever heard from a player or read is that they were shocked by what followed. It's also clear that McCarthy raised the issue of Keane's unavailability for the second game against Iran. Keane would say that McCarthy accused him of faking an injury and questioned his loyalty. He said that that Mick had suggested that he feigned injury to go home after the first leg of the Iran game. Now, Niall Quinn says in his biography that's not actually what was said, but that Mick did suggest, well, he didn't suggest, he, he mentioned the fact that Roy had gone home after the first leg of the Iran game and not travelled to Tehran. Roy said at the time, or has said since, that he felt that the, the, that the job was done. He also said in that, in that eight to ten minute trade that he had an arrangement, as I understand it, that he had, that Mick had had an arrangement with Alex Ferguson that Roy would go home. So it was all prearranged and that Roy didn't do anything that wasn't expected or wasn't understood to be part of a plan. Um, clearly it wasn't Mick's plan, but it had been it, it agreed. That was the suggestion. But anyway, you have eight to ten minutes of this sort of stuff. He talks about his complete lack of respect for him. He talks about the fact that he didn't rate him as a player, that he doesn't rate him as a manager. He talks about stuff that, you know, he says things that just cannot be taken back. I mean, my, my feeling is that at the key moments, Mick was left with no real alternative by, due to, to Roy's actions, you know. That's one view of what happened. Mick had no choice. There's another widely held view. Mick mishandled the situation. Here's Eamon Dunphy. Mick McCarthy, in my view, overreacted to a piece. And anyone who was interested could dig out Tom's piece and see there was nothing much in it. It was, it was critical, yes, but it wasn't. It was no big deal. It was a bigger picture here. They had to play a tournament. And this was criticism from A, the captain, and B, uh, someone who had done more than anyone else to get us there. The question is, why not take Roy Keane into a room with the paper and talk about it or even reprimand him. Why do it in front of the whole squad? That was the the managerial mistake. You see, I blame Mick McCarthy because if you're the manager, you should manage things. So first of all, you shouldn't be going to Saipan in the first place because there's no facilities there. A more mature manager would have looked at it the Irish Times piece and said, it's Roy, and he's not wrong. (laughs) Of course, Keane stepped over every line you could possibly draw in his rant. And that goes back to your first question about what happened in, in America when they were on tour. There was a residual 
um, animosity, should we say. But at the same time, it hadn't stopped Keane playing brilliantly for Ireland in the qualifying thing. The idea that he wouldn't, that he'd be sent home uh, was nonsense. I mean, for God's sake. But he was sent home. By one account, McCarthy told Keane one of them would have to go and he, McCarthy, wasn't going anywhere. Keane stood up and left. Roy, can you give us just one reaction being sent home from the World Cup? Can you give us any insight into what happened last night? No. Can you even tell us how you're feeling at the moment? I feel uh, very good. Clear conscience. And I'm happy to be going home. Happy to go home and see my family. Roy Keane and Controversy have been fellow travellers for most of his professional career but his expulsion from the Republic of Ireland squad a week before the World Cup finals is nothing short of astonishing. Oh, it was apocalyptic news. I mean, it was like, it, it was, we were close enough to end of world stuff here. <laughs> oh my God, you know, he's actually leaving. He's, he's actually, this is really happening. Roy Keane is really, really not going to play in the World Cup for Ireland because of this bust-up with Mick McCarthy. Really, this is... And it was the unreality of that. It was, like, it was unthinkable that this would happen. How could Roy Keane miss the World Cup? How could he miss the World Cup? Out of all of the players, out of all of the players who've ever played, how could it be him? Tomorrow, the story concludes. This episode of In The News was produced by Declan Conlon, Jennifer Ryan and Suzanne Brennan. Never suffer the buffer again. Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa, gaming in the bedroom, or swiping in the bathroom. Hey! Get out of here! I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky Broadband Ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base.